Let me invite you now to grab a Bible, and uh, you can open it to Matthew chapter 1, but we're going to do one more thing before we read the text. Um, you know, it seems like eons ago now, but it was only a couple of months ago uh, that we celebrated the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And you may recall, it was on Sunday, October the 29th, that I did something that we haven't done uh, around here, and it caused such a furor that I thought we should do it some more, you know, just <clears throat> furor seems to be a good thing. But guys, um, the, the Christian church is a creedal church. She stands on things that, uh, that have been uh, transferred to her over centuries. And one of those things that um, seems to cause a little bit of a discussion is this thing known as the Apostles' Creed. Um, you remember there's a couple of sentences in there that really troubled you. One of them has to do with he descended into hell. And I tried to tell you then that um, he did not physically descend into the locale. But as he died and cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is at that moment experiencing the sufferings of hell. Then the other thing was the, <laughs> this, this bothered you far more, was the, uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But that statement is not, I believe, in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. It has nothing to do with Rome. It has to do with the Catholicity, that is, a word that simply means universality of the church, that we believe in a church that is global, that it's all around the world. Do you see what's happening in Iran right now? I mean, uh, there are Christians in Iran, ladies and gentlemen, and we're pulling for them at, at this moment. So that's all we're saying. Now, with that in, in mind, I want to ask you to rise. It's in your bulletin. The Apostles' Creed is in your bulletin. I want you to stand with me. And as we start a new year, we are going to, we're going to say again what it is that we believe. So, Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you, and, and take your seats. <clears throat> now, um, go with me to our text this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading uh, at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18, and I'm going to read to the end of that chapter. So, you follow in your copies of God's Word as I read uh, from this inerrant book. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> it reads like this. <clears throat> now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I want to begin this morning um, by telling you one more R.C. Sproul story. And I promise, well, I better not promise, um, but I'm, I'm going to try to um, uh, let up on the R.C. Sproul stories um, for a while. As you know, R.C. Sproul is someone I consider to be my mentor, um, my friend. I, I've made, it, I made a public statement in the past that he, 60% of what I know, he taught me. It's probably a higher percentage than that. But um, as so many of you know, R.C. died on the 14th of of December. Um, And it has really been harder on me than I ever dreamed. But um, um, I I wrote, and his wife responded, so I've talked to her. But anyway, here's the story. Back in the early 80s, when I was doing my doctoral work, uh, he was one of the professors in our doctoral program at Reformed Seminary. And um, the classes were not large. I mean, you, you can imagine if it's in a doctoral program, the classes would be small. There was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us in the class. I forget exactly. But um, on, on one occasion, he, had, uh, he assigned us an exercise in the class, and here was the exercise. That uh, as he called your name, you were to go to the front of the room and stand behind the little podium, uh, the little lectern there. And, and <clears throat> from the back of the room... He assigned you a text to read. You didn't have to preach it. You just had to read it. Just read it to the class. And then when you were done, the class and the professor uh, critiqued you in the way that you had handled the Scriptures. So guess who he saved until last? <clears throat> Pardon me. That, that would be me. <clears throat> So he walked up to the front of the room, <clears throat> got behind the lectern, and he said, here's your text. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Now, um, if you don't know anything about those verses, they are affectionately called the Begatitudes, because the King James translation does not say, as this translation says, and Boaz, the father of Obed. The, the King James says, and Boaz begat Obed. And he begat, begat, begat. And so they've called it the Begatitudes. Um, <clears throat> but you've got all these names that you have to pronounce. And R.C. got such a kick out of that. Um, but he did say, um, in fact, he said this in the in the little video that he sent us for our 25th anniversary of the church. He said that um, when I finished, he had tears in his eyes. 
guys, um, verses 1 through 17 is not our text. Uh, verses 18 and following is our text. But before we get to the text, I want to tell you just a little bit about the verses that precede it. That is, these first 17 verses that precede verses 18 and following, I, I think it would be good to um, know certain things about the first 17 verses as we try to understand better verses 18 and following. So here we go. Um, First of all, the, the, the book opens with these words, the book of the genealogy. You see that? The word genealogy, the Greek word that is translated genealogy, is a Greek word, genesis. It comes from a, a Greek verb, genao, which means uh, begotten. But in the third century B.C., Stay with me, 3rd century B.C., 70 scholars got together to translate <coughs> the Old Testament that was written in Hebrew, to translate the Old Testament into Greek, the, the lingua franca of the day, which was Koine Greek. Their work was called the Septuagint. It's called the Septuagint because there were supposedly 70 scholars that worked on it. So they translated the Old Testament, into Koine Greek. And when they got ready to title the first book of the Bible, they titled it Genesis. Genesis. Which is the same word that you have right here, the fifth word in the book of Matthew. The Greek word, genesis, has kind of a, a very broad lexicological range. It can be translated beginning, or origin, or birth, or genealogy. But Matthew 1.1 is echoing Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, <clears throat> um, the book of the beginning. And then you may recall that um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the alpha beginning and the omega, the end. I'm the beginning. I'm the genesis. Now, guys, look with me again at verse 1. Um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew gives you his name. See that? Jesus. That's his historical, everyday name. Um, but it's the rendering of a Hebrew term, Yeshua. Remember the sixth book in the Bible, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? Well, he had the name too, Yeshua. You know what that means? The name Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Um, 
And then you find the name Christ. The, the term Christ is more of a title. The Greek term is Christos. But it's derived from a Hebrew term, Mashiach. Does that sound like anything? Messiah, anointed one. <clears throat> so, in the mind of Matthew the author, here's the beginning. Jesus Christ. Here's where he wants you to start. Jesus Christ. That's your beginning. <clears throat> That's your alpha, if you will. You want a fresh start in 20, 2018? Then you can start the way Matthew started. With Jesus Christ. That's, where he, that's how he started. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about it and we'll move on. Guys, a genealogy in the New Testament is, is somewhat like a resume today. You know, in our resumes, we put together a resume and we, we tell about our, um, our educational history and our, our career experience. Well, a resume, I mean, a genealogy um, was more about your pedigree. Um, it answered the question, who's your daddy? And so um, what Matthew is giving you in these first 70 verses is um, Jesus' qualifications. Qualifications for what? He's trying to prove to his Jewish reading audience that Jesus Christ is qualified to sit on the throne of David. You see, the Messiah that Jews were looking for was going to be the son of David, going to be a son of David. And so Matthew is writing. That's his goal, guys. Look at, this is in our text, look at verse 22 where he says, this took place to fulfill. This afternoon, read the book of Matthew and underline all the times that Matthew says to fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. It's a fulfillment formula because Matthew is trying to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus has a right to occupy the throne of David. He can legitimately be called the son of David. Okay, you got all that? <laughs> now, let's move over to the text. The text begins in verse 18, and as I read it, you probably heard it in there. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ, and the claim in there is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. You saw that, didn't you? Um, <clears throat> guys, there is such debate, such controversy, so much ink has been spilt over the virgin birth. In fact, it's called the Alma Batula debate. If you, um, if you want to research it, you can read, you can Google it this afternoon, the Alma Batula debate. But let me go on record as saying real quickly I believe in a virgin birth. 
and I haven't lost my mind. And I know how babies are normally made. But ladies and gentlemen, without a virgin birth, we do not have a savior. Because if he was not born of a virgin, he would be born as a sinner, just like the rest of us, and he would need a savior for himself. But, ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that that is not the point of this paragraph? That's just the way Satan operates with us. He is, um, he's misdirecting you. It's a sleight of hand so that you will concentrate on one thing and miss the real substance, the real point. <clears throat> now, guys, I'm not saying that the virgin birth is not important, but it's not the point of the paragraph I just read you. The point is found in verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the point. And I wonder, I really wonder, if in all of this discussion that the, that the liberal left-leaning church has tried to... Um, um, discuss about how he was born. If, if you heard all of that discussion, but miss this. Because folks, verse 21 is the, is the point. You shall call his name Jesus. And what did we say Jesus meant? It means Yah, Yah, Jehovah saves. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let me expand a bit. I want you to notice, notice this first. Look at the naming that's going on in this paragraph. The naming. Who is it that names Jesus? Normally, it is parents who name their children. Who named your kids? Why, we did. Well, of course you did. Because there is in the naming process the communication of authority over for instance, when Adam was in the garden naming the animals, part of what is being communicated is that the human kingdom is going to have authority over the animal kingdom. But when it comes to Jesus, the prerogative of a parent to name his child is removed from the parents and that right of naming him is delivered or the name is delivered by an angelic messenger who got his instructions from God because you see it won't be Mary and Joseph who will have authority over Jesus the only one who will have authority over Jesus is his heavenly father and he does the naming now again, what name is he given? Yeshua. Jehovah saves. Now guys, stay with me. Saves who? 
He saves his people. Well, well Dr. Young, could you, could you tell us just a little bit about his people? Oh, boy, could I. Several of them are mentioned in the first 17 verses in that genealogy. Guys, look at the genealogy. <laughs> because um, it's a scandal. The whole genealogy is a scandal. <clears throat> Why? Why is it a scandal? Well, point number one. There is in that genealogy the mention of five women. Five women. Folks, genealogies didn't answer who's your mommy. Genealogies answered who's your daddy. And there are five women in this one. And these women, oh, my, oh, my, they are some doozies. For instance, two of them, two of the five women, are Gentiles, for heaven's sake. Rahab and Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess, one of the enemies of Israel. <clears throat> That, that, that's really not a plus when you're trying to convince a Jewish audience to mention two Gentile women in his genealogy. And then not only that, three of the women that are mentioned have terrible reputations. Terrible. Uh, Rahab. You remember her? <laughs> you remember what she did? Do you remember what her occupation was? Mm, that's right. She was a prostitute. Oh, and by the way, Tamar's mentioned in there. Tamar, anybody remember her? Genesis 38. She's the daughter-in-law that seduced her own father-in-law, whose name is Judah, who scammed her. Remember that? She dresses up like a prostitute and, and deceives her father-in-law because he wouldn't give her the third son. Remember that? And then there's Bathsheba, right here, mentioned in, um, you know, uh, the genealogy. Bathsheba, remember her? She was an adulteress. And, 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 and just in case you think I'm picking on the women, the men in this thing, well, they're worse. <laughs> uh, Judah, let's take Judah, for instance. Judah is the father-in-law who um, lied to his daughter-in-law, and so he goes out and, and hires the services of a, a woman that he thinks is a prostitute, but he doesn't know it's his own daughter-in-law. And then when she's found it to be pregnant, he wants to burn her at the stake. Or how about Manessa? His name is in there. You remember Manessa? You know what he was known for? Child sacrifice. He was considered the wickedest king of Israel. He repents late in his life. And then even David. David is not exactly what you call a choir boy. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Yeshua will die 
for his people. And who is his people? Every one of them. Terribly broken. Broken people. Guys, again, I hope you're getting my point. This passage over here about the virgin birth, yeah, it's in there. It's just not the point. The point is, this one that Matthew began his book with, you're going to name him Jesus, which means Jehovah saves And he's going to save his people. Who are his people? A bunch of ne'er-do-wells. That's who his people are. Now, one other name. There's one other name that's given to him. It's, um, it's back here on uh, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? Well, the text tells us. It means um, God with us. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ Emmanuel. Yeshua saves the anointed, the Messiah. God will be with us. And this person is going to save his people. And there's a collection for you of broken people. So his name, you see, tells us who he is, tells us that twice. Yeshua, or Jehovah, God with us, So in this name with which Matthew begins, in the name is who he is, what he does, and the promise that he made. And that promise is he'll be with us. So, folks, as as you begin the new calendar year, Matthew wanted you to know a few things. Boy, you bet he does. And it's a mouthful. You see, it's as if Matthew says, before I tell you anything that he taught, before I tell you anything that he any of those miracles that he performed, before we get to that, here's what I want you to know. His name. I want you to know his name. Jesus Christ, who promised to be with us. If you want to start 
he says. Start with that. Uh-oh, I, I, I almost forgot. Um, you see, all of that is just the alpha stuff, the beginning. Um, let me tell you quickly about the omega. He says, I'm the alpha and the omega. <clears throat> um, let me give you the other bookend. You see, he's not only the beginning, he's the end. And do you know what the last statement of Matthew's book is? (laughs) And lo, I will be with you always. He, He could have simply said, Emmanuel. But he starts his book by telling you who he is, what he did, what his promise is, and then he tells you at the end of his book. He promised us this. Well, okay there, Dr. Young. That's, that's, very, that's very intellectually stimulating. What does all that mean? Two things. First of all, my dear friend, if you have ever begun with Jesus. He will be with you till the end. Always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, you know that fear that we all have? All of us. That fear of dying promise is he will be with you even then one more thing in fact to me (laughs) this is the most precious of it all I guess it's the simplest too but Do you know who wrote this? A guy by the name of Matthew. Do you know anything about him? Matthew was a tax collector. Do you know what a tax collector was? He was he was a pariah. He was the most despised member of the society. Matthew had a very wicked past. He was engaged in all sorts of nefarious activity until until he met Jesus Christ. And then he wrote this. You know, guys, that's Jesus' specialty. He takes broken people, flawed people, people who have all kinds of skeletons in their closets, like us. And then he changes us 
He changes us into worshipers. Has he done that to you? What a wonderful day for him to do it. To give us a new beginning. And ladies and gentlemen, that new beginning has nothing to do with a calendar. The beginning is a person. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will charm your people, not because of my sermon, but because of the, the glories of the gospel that took a man like Matthew, who had all of these skeletons hanging in his closet, but once he met this Savior, things changed. He got a brand new start, such that he would write a book like this and tell us, Here's where you begin. Here's where it all begins. With Jesus Christ. The one who promised to be with us until the end. Oh, Father. All of the... Uh, all of these inconsequentials would you help us to put those in their place while we fix our attention on the one who has come, born of a virgin, named by heaven as the one who would save broken people like us. Do that, O oh God, over and over and over again today and in the coming year. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.